Welcome to the History Guy Podcast, a podcast dedicated to stories of lesser-known historical events told by Lance Geiger, also known as the History Guy on YouTube. I'm Josh, your host, a writer for the channel and eldest son of the History Guy. We tell all kinds of stories about history, from the modern era to the ancient past, so you never know what we're going to talk about next. One thing you can be sure of, it is history that deserves to be remembered. We at The History Guy are also excited to announce a new way to interact with the team and The History Guy himself at Locals.com. Join The History Guy Guild for your one-stop location to chat with other history fans, get updates on the team, and more. You can join for free or pay as little as $5 a month to get access to live chats with The History Guy, books behind the scenes, early access to ad-free videos, and more. Find us at thehistoryguyguild.locals.com. We look forward to seeing you there. On this episode of the History Guy podcast, the History Guy tells three stories about pirates. First, we journey to the Mediterranean and the king of pirates, Hay Redden Barbarossa. Then, THG hops across the pond to the Caribbean and tells the story of the pirate capital, Port Royal, and the earthquake that ended in age. Finally, the History Guy tells the story of an English ship bringing silkworms and a doctor to the colony at Jamestown, only to be struck by pirates. Without further ado, let me introduce The History Guy. Pirates. They're both the stuff of legend and of history. They have been both romanticized and villainized. They have plied the world's oceans since almost as soon as humans went to sea, and they still plague the world's oceans today. But piracy is not a normal crime. Throughout history, piracy has been less an act of petty thievery and more an act of economic warfare engaged by the world's great powers. And no group of pirates in history have been more successful at that economic warfare than the Barbary pirates. Rising in the 16th century as the Ottoman Empire came to dominate the North African ports of Algeria, Tripoli, and Tunis, the Barbary pirates were the scourge of Europe. They captured thousands of ships, raided as far north as Iceland, and in a 300-year period took more than one and a quarter million people into slavery. And among the Barbary pirates, one name rises above the rest. The greatest pirate in history. The pirate who changed Europe. Hey Redden Barbarossa. The Pirate King. The history of conflict between Christian Europe and the Muslim world dates back to the early Muslim conquests in the 7th century AD. In the century following the death of the Prophet Muhammad, Muslim conquests had created a caliphate that spanned nearly 5 million square miles, from the borders of China to the Iberian Peninsula. It was the largest empire in history to that time, three times larger than the Roman Empire at its height. This created a conflict with Christian Europe that spanned centuries. The so-called Reconquista, the effort by the armies of Christendom to retake the Iberian Peninsula, for example, took 780 years. Between 1096 and 1272, Christian Europe engaged in nine major crusades to the Holy Land in brutal wars of religion that cost millions of lives. But the nature of the conflict changed during the 14th century with the rise of the new and powerful Turkish Ottoman Empire, which became a transcontinental empire with their conquest of the Balkans in the 1350s and defeated the Byzantine Empire, the last vestige of Rome, under Sultan Mehmed the Conqueror in 1453. The Ottoman Empire reached its apex in the 16th century under the great Sultan Suleiman the Magnificent, facilitated by his great admiral, Hayreddin Barbarossa. 
Born in 1478 and originally named Kizer, the future admiral was a product of the Ottoman Wars. Born on a Turkish-occupied Greek island, his father was an Ottoman knight of Albanian descent who had been granted land after helping to conquer the island in 1462. His father became a successful maker of pottery and bought a merchant fleet to go sell his wares, and all four of his sons had become seamen, engaging in international trade and, later, piracy, privateering against the Christian Knights of St. John, then operating out of their stronghold on the Isle of Rhodes. This was a period where privateers, state-sanctioned pirates, were commonly used as a form of economic warfare on both sides. In fact, piracy in the time was largely conducted using galleys, which were frequently rowed by slaves that had been captured in pirate raids. The family were first victims of pirates themselves. One brother was killed, and the oldest brother, Oric, was captured when privateers of the Knights of St. John captured their father's merchant vessel. Of course, all good stories begin with being captured by pirates. Eventually, Kizer helped Oric escape, and the two became privateers themselves, eventually becoming some of the most successful pirates of their era. Under the patronage of an Ottoman prince, from 1503 to 1516, they raided across the Mediterranean, capturing dozens of ships from as far away as England. In true pirate form, Oric lost an arm and replaced it with a silver prosthetic, earning the name Gumis Kol, or Silver Arm in Turkish. But it was another name that would become much more famous. While helping to evacuate Muslim refugees, Oric became called by the name Baba Oric, which means Father Oric. But in Europe, where the brothers already had a great reputation as pirates, that was misunderstood to be Barbarossa, Italian for Red Beard. As all three brothers had red beards, the name stuck. Their fortunes took another turn in 1516. The Emir of Algiers asked for their help in expelling Spain, which was encroaching on his kingdom. The brothers defeated not just the Spanish, but the Emir, whom they felt had conspired with Spain. And Orc was proclaimed the Sultan of Algiers. The pirate brothers had become kings. When Orc was killed fighting the Spanish in 1517, Kizer took over his title and his name, Barbarossa. To protect his new territory, he sought the support of the Ottoman Empire, and Algiers became an Ottoman province. Conflict with Spain continued until 1529, but Algeria would become an Ottoman state, and the main base of the Barbary pirates, until the French conquest of Algeria 300 years later. Kizer offered his vast pirate fleet to the service of the new Ottoman emperor, Suleiman the Magnificent, who gave Kizer the honorary name Hayreddin, meaning Best of Islam. The pirate king continued to be the scourge of Europe, and used Algiers as a base in his conflict with Spain. In 1533, he changed the world when he was sent as an emissary to King Francis I of France, famously giving the king a present of a live African lion, which became known as the Lion of Barbarossa. The embassy would lead, three years later, to an alliance between Christian France and the Islamic Ottoman Empire, commonly called in Europe the Unholy Alliance. The alliance, based on shared opposition to the Habsburg Empire, would become one of the longest-lasting and most influential alliances of Europe, and would endure for two and a half centuries. Now allied with France, Hayred and Barbarossa became such a thorn in the side of the Habsburg Empire that the Holy Roman Emperor himself, Charles V, tried to bribe Hayred to switch sides. Hayred responded by beheading the agent who carried the offer. 
As Hayreddin and his fleets helped to capture the islands of the Mediterranean from European kingdoms, and as Suleiman besieged Vienna itself, the Pope, Paul III, put together a holy league, combining the fleets of the Papacy, Spain, the Habsburgs, the Republic of Venice, and the Knights of Malta, under the command of the famous Genoese Admiral Andrea Doria. Hayreddin led the Ottoman fleet against the Holy League fleet in the Aegean Sea, near the great town of Preveza, on September 28, 1538. Despite being outnumbered more than two to one, Hayreddin outmaneuvered Andrea Doria's fleet, leveraging his more mobile galleys. He defeated the alliance, sinking 10 ships and capturing 36 more, without the loss of a single Ottoman ship. The victory was decisive. Hayreddin captured most of the remaining Mediterranean islands under European control in the next year, and the Republic of Venice was forced to sue for peace. Because of Preveza, the Ottoman fleets would militarily dominate the Mediterranean for the next 30 years. Barbarossa would continue to be the scourge of the Mediterranean, defeating European fleets, raiding and capturing European cities and strongholds. He retired in 1545 to write his memoirs and died peacefully in 1546. He is entombed in a tomb in Istanbul, next to the Istanbul Naval Museum. The Ottoman Empire would continue to be one of the world's most powerful navies clear until the 19th century. They were the third largest navy in the world as late as 1875. Barbarossa's kingdom, Algeria, endured long enough to fight two wars with the United States in 1801 and again in 1815, before finally being conquered by the French in 1847. But it was in the 16th century, under the great ruler Suleiman the Magnificent, that the Ottoman Empire would be at the height of its power. And much of that success was due to his great admiral. At one time commanding more than 200 ships, and feared throughout Christendom, Hayreddin Barbarossa, the dread pirate Redbeard, was without peer, the greatest pirate in history. Next up, the History Guide talks about the pirate capital of the Caribbean, Port Royal, and the earthquake that destroyed it. 325 years ago today, on June 7, 1692, at 11.43 a.m., an earthquake struck the island of Jamaica and its capital city of Port Royal. The bustling port town was nearly destroyed. But Port Royal was a pirate city, and by some descriptions, the most wicked and sinful city in the world. And the irony of a city like that being destroyed by the hand of God was not lost on the people of the time. And so the 1692 Jamaica earthquake offers us a unique opportunity to talk not just about the history of Jamaica and Port Royal, but it offers a unique opportunity in modern archaeology. And for the history guy, it offers an excuse to talk about pirates. Arr! But let's start out trying to understand the real pirates of the Caribbean. Because of the wealth of the Spanish colonies in the Americas, the Caribbean, which was known as the Spanish Main, was a particularly rich place for people who made their living raiding merchant ships on the high seas. But most of them weren't really pirates. They were privateers. The great powers of the day, the British, the French, and the Spanish, were frequently at war, or at least at odds, and so the governments would issue things called letters of mark. 
The letter of mark is permission from a government to raid enemy ships at sea. So privateers are actually, in essence, mercenaries who are acting as private soldiers and who are paid with the value of the booty that they collect, and that is the value of the ships and the cargo and the passengers and crews, either for ransom or as slaves, is how they got their pay. Now these are different than pirates. Pirates do the same thing. They raid ships on the high sea for the value of what they can collect, but they do so without the protection of a letter of mark, and so they are more vulnerable to the law. Now, the line between the two is actually pretty thin, and a privateer might exceed the authority of their letter of mark by, say, raiding a ship from the wrong country or making a land raid. And so most of the people who made their living doing this sort of thing were at sometimes pirates and at sometimes privateers in the course of their life. In the Caribbean, there's a unique term called buccaneer, and that actually originally referred to landless hunters on the island of Hispaniola who would hunt wild pigs and wild cattle, and then they would usually dry that into what in French is called vien bouquinet, or roughly beef jerky. And so the people who did that, those men were called Bucanes, and the Spanish didn't like them for a number of reasons, not the least of which was that they provide supply to the corsairs that were raiding the Spanish ships. And so the Spanish chased them off the island of Hispaniola, and many of them ended up becoming pirates themselves. And eventually the term, which was anglicized to become buccaneer, was used to refer to all of the various pirates, corsairs, privateers that operated in the Caribbean. Although they were pirates, they were not uncivilized. The pirates of the Caribbean had formed together a loose organization that was called the Brethren of the Coast. This was a syndicate of captains who, both freebooters and privateers, had organized together in order to regulate economic activities, largely to prevent conflict among the various pirate groups. In the early part of the 17th century, the Caribbean pirates largely operated off the island of Tortuga, which is a small island off the coast of Hispaniola, or modern-day Haiti. But in 1655, a British fleet captured the Spanish island of Jamaica, and the British governor, knowing that the Spanish wanted to take Jamaica back, invited the Brethren of the Coast to use the new capital of British Jamaica, the port city of Port Royal, as their home port. Now, the British got a ready-made force to defend Jamaica from the Spanish, and the pirates got a safe, deep-water port with easy access to the rich shipping routes of the Spanish main. The deal worked out better than they could ever imagine. Not only did successful buccaneer captains like Henry Morgan, who was the most famous and feared buccaneer of the 17th century, bring in lots and lots of wealth from the Spanish ships that they had raided, but the Spanish were so disrupted that they were unable to meet the Spanish colony's need for manufactured goods. And so the Spanish colonists were forced to buy their manufactured goods from the British merchants in Jamaica. Ironically, many of those goods having been taken from Spanish ships by pirates. This system, which was called forced trade, made Port Royal one of the wealthiest cities of the day. It was a bustling trading town. 
There was so much money, gold and silver, which had been taken by the pirates that the amount of running cash in Port Royal relative to the population was greater than the same amount in London in the day. And it was such an important trade city, the largest city in the Caribbean, that Port Royal was more important to trade than Boston was. But it was a pirate city, and as a pirate utopia, it was filled with cutthroats and thieves who had lots of money, and so became a well-known center of debauchery, variously described as the Sodom of the West, and the wickedest city in the Christian world. It was so debauched that the city of Port Royal had one public drinking house per 10 residents. It had lots of prostitutes and brothels because a prostitute in Port Royal could make more money than almost any other place on earth. And it was so known for public drunkenness that even the pirates' favorite pets, parrots, developed a taste for wine and were frequently drunk. And the city was built on shaky foundations. Literally. Port Royal is at the end of a sandbar. It's built on sand, not land. And if there wasn't enough room to build, they would frequently just dump sand on the water and build buildings on top of that. And because they had money, sometimes those were heavy stone buildings that were literally built on foundations of sand. The earthquake struck at 11.43 a.m. on June the 7th, 1692. It came in three great shocks, the largest of which was estimated to be about 7.5 on the Richter scale. The ground beneath the city liquefied, a process called liquefaction, and the entire port city seemed to roll down towards the ocean. In a period of just two minutes, two-thirds of the city of Port Royal went below sea level. The sand rolled in great waves, so it would create fissures, and when people fell in, those fissures would then close and crush the people. And of course, many of the stone buildings also collapsed and crushed more people. And then the city was hit by the tsunami, which put nearly 90% of the city below water and capsized more than 20 ships in the harbor. Of the city's population of approximately 6,500, about 2,000 died in the initial earthquake and tsunami, and afterwards, deprived of shelter and clean water, nearly 3,000 died of disease in the aftermath. Port Royal tried to rebuild, but then it was struck by a series of disasters. In 1805, a fire burned most of the city to the ground, and several hurricanes of the early part of the 19th century left Port Royal abandoned except for a small British naval station. The capital of Jamaica was moved to Spanish City, and most of the trade that had been in Port Royal was moved across the harbor to the city of Kingston. The symbolism of the Sodom of the West being repeatedly destroyed by acts of God was not lost on religious leaders of the day. And Port Royal was held up as the symbol of divine retribution and spurred a religious revival in Jamaica that turned the population against the pirates. The era of the buccaneer was ending anyway. The British and Spanish had signed a peace treaty, and the pirate success was starting to threaten that treaty. And economically, the slave trade and sugar trade began to overcome piracy as the way to support Jamaica. And so Jamaica started passing anti-piracy laws. Ironically, many of the pirates of the early 18th century met their end in the former pirate utopia of Port Royal at the British Naval Station there, and a place that was ghoulishly called Gallows Point. But the earthquake and the process of liquefaction offers an unparalleled opportunity for modern archaeology. 
the entire city of Port Royal sunk in just a couple of minutes and was buried in the sand, leaving behind a pristine historical record. Usually archaeological sites are places that were occupied for a very long period of time, and you have to dig through years of garbage to figure out what's what. But Port Royal, the city that sunk, was preserved at a precise moment in time, and some argue that it is the most important archaeological site in the Western Hemisphere. It is our best record of life in the 17th century. In fact, the way that we know that the earthquake occurred at precisely 11.43 a.m. is because of a pocket watch that was discovered in an archaeological dig of one of the ships in the harbor, stopped at exactly 11.43 a.m. A permanent record, a remembrance of the very last moment of the golden age of piracy in the Caribbean. Now is the part of the episode where we get to chat with the history guy. A little bit about what we just heard, what we're going to hear, and of course, some behind-the-scenes stuff that you only get to hear about on the podcast. So at the, kind of at the beginning of this episode, you describe uh, Hayred and Barbarossa as the pirate who changed Europe. And it really is amazing how great his impact, I mean, how serious and long-lasting his impact was. But I also was thinking about his origin, and that he's this... this uh, Greek island islander who is uh, it's the islands under control of the Ottomans and then he becomes a famous privateer from that and what kind of what I was thinking was how that was that is illustrative of a lot of the changes that were kind of going on as we're kind of moving away from the medieval era absolutely yeah they went they went from merchants yeah. to becoming pirates yeah it's a modernization it's also that conflict in the Mediterranean between the between the Muslim states and the and the and the European states and uh, and uh, it's interesting I, I you know I don't think people think of yeah. Greeks as being Muslims but they always were and and Barbarossa of course means red beard uh, and which is a great name for a pirate so yeah he and the you know the whole history with the with the family but they start off as merchants and so they have he has a lot of nautical understanding he's a good mariner uh, before they then become pirates yeah. and then become wealthy pirates and then becomes, you know, ends up controlling an entire state and becomes the admiral of the Ottoman fleet. It's really all it's an incredible. Story. And it does, you know, it's one of those things from when we went from like there was there was always piracy in the uh, in the Mediterranean. But his ability to go from mm -hmm. being, you know, not just a not just a petty pirate or a thief or and then not just, you know, a powerful uh, fleet commander or something like that, but to someone who could do what he did, I, I mean, it has a lot to do with the changing technologies and the ways that uh, mm -hmm. the trade in the Mediterranean and had to change because of that. And, mm -hmm. it's, and not just because of, you know, technological yeah. advancements, but because of the, had the kind of solidifying of the Muslim powers and the Christian powers. And it's, it's really, really yeah. interesting politics at the time yeah everything he's a very interesting guy yeah. and he was he was of course brilliant and i mean and that i when you think about that idea he says i'm gonna you know here i have this you are all hunted as pirates so my nation we don't hunt you this is where you can yeah. come and be the pirate haven and that collects up so many boats he says oh by the way when we need you we're a navy and it's, it's a massive navy and a successful navy uh and mm -hmm. that you know that couldn't happen today because you know you wouldn't they you know the navies would have you know warships and the, and the pirates would not but i'm um, at the time uh that that you know that made for a fleet that could 
could combat with the best fleets and the best admirals in the world. And that's, you know, it's an extraordinary story. Uh, and again, coming from humble beginnings. But, yeah, you know, there's been some argument. We have some people who argue with me that he's not, he wasn't a pirate. He was an admiral. And, you know, I think he was both. But I don't think if he understood how we define pirate today, I don't think he ever would have denied that, yeah, I went out in boats and <laughs> took other people's yeah. boats <laughs> on the high seas. That's, that's what I did. Yeah, I just I just got better and better at it's, it until I had a fleet It's one of those things that, that yeah. I kind of, when I, I was thinking as I was listening to this episode, that his story does kind of complicate that idea, you know, of what a pirate really is. Not just because he did, at yeah. least to some extent, and in certain parts of his life, have significant, you know, uh, people saying, yes, you're allowed to do this, giving him the the rights and, and working officially. Oh, yeah, yeah. In much of it, he would have yeah. been what we call a privateer. Uh, some of it, though, he yeah, would have been, just... I mean, a lawless pirate. He was just, you know, they were going to go out and take whatever ship they could take. Uh, and certainly, you know, he was a commander in what would be considered, uh, you know, today, yeah. a, a formal military. I mean, he was an admiral. And those, I mean, but those lines, wherever you go in the age of piracy, uh, those lines blur. I mean, always, you know, yeah. people shifted between privateer, privateers and pirates, and they all and they all kind of fit our model of what a, what a pirate is. Uh, but, I mean, if you think of piracy as being, you go out on the high seas and take other ships on the high seas, yeah. uh, then, you know, he was clearly a, a, you know, a pirate. But um, you know, we have this idea that the pirates are necessarily the villains. Well, I mean, both sides were pirates in this. I mean, both sides were, were shamelessly pirating the other side. Uh, and uh, both sides did some terrible things. They would take slaves. They would uh, attack, you know, villages. They, I mean, uh, I don't know that you can necessarily say that uh, that Hayred and Barbarossa didn't do terrible things. I think he did, but I don't think you can necessarily say that he was a villain compared to his contemporaries yeah. that he was fighting. It's, it certainly wasn't a sign of who was good and who was bad. But what he really was is yeah. an extraordinary personality because from a fairly humble beginning— uh, he was able to to go not just to great power, but he did that with some really you know brilliant ideas that ended up sort of creating one of the greatest navies uh, in, in in the world. Really, at the time, he went and defeated all the all the great navies of of the Caribbean. So, I I, I think he's an extraordinary, actually extraordinary personality, and it's an extraordinary tales. One one of my early episodes, um, and uh, and you probably hear that in the in the audio and stuff like that. But I mean, it, it really he's he's a fascinating story and probably well known in some places and not real well known. Yeah, here he's in the West. you know I think that when people think of pirates, Pirates. Uh, Blackbeard probably comes up here, and you know, in the states, we probably think of him before. Mm -hmm. But I don't think he's totally unknown. But oh, yeah, but uh, oh, Edward yeah, Teach was small potatoes. Absolutely right. Yeah, <laughs> Barbarossa. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had he had a fleet of like three ships. At one it's point, it's right? interesting. <laughs> I mean, we have we have this idea of the swashbuckling and the. I think that there is to some extent an idea that uh, pirates are kind of. And I don't think many people would put it into this kind of word, but they're stateless. You know, they don't have the, the ideas that they're out there yeah. just living on their own. And and so part of why he complicates it is because he built a, you know, I mean, a state. Yeah, he makes and that, a that seems state. to be almost yeah, an oxymoron, yeah. the idea that, you know, you can have that kind of organization. That's, I mean, he's, so that makes him literally, though, a pirate yeah, king. literally. And and I think that, yeah, I mean, I don't yeah. think that, I don't think that any pirate would have turned down the, the wealth and stuff that you could get if, if you were able to do that. But it was not an easy thing to do. Well, yeah, to come back to a, a protected yeah. port where you could spend your earning and not be jailed. and But I mean, that, I mean, that always happened in history, oh, yeah. too, for, you know, you'd be using your pirates as privateers and then and then the war's over and suddenly they're villains and you're chasing them all down again. And uh, I, I think pirates were always used to living you know, at one point. I mean, living, you, you didn't choose that life. Uh, uh, you know, that life chose you and yeah. you knew that you're always in danger. I think that was probably true in, in Hayredden's time. It was always on the edge. Yeah, I, I think that's... Yeah. And, and you never know exactly which side you're going to be on. And he ended up, you know, he had 
powerful backers, but <laughs> because of, I mean, yeah, because of uh, historical stuff that was going on yeah, at the he, time. He, he made the right friends, yeah. yeah, and that helped him stay in power too. And, and uh, yeah, it's uh, that's part of why you have to say the guy's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, you, you know, but he, he died venerated and he didn't yeah. end up, you know, like Edward Teach hanging off, you know, hanging off a yard yeah. arm somewhere. He, and so. he was a, he was a great, I mean, a great admiral. The fact that he fought Absolutely, in a huge, yeah. I mean, it wasn't just like, ah, he was good at sailing a ship. I, he was clearly, he knew what he was doing. Yeah. Massive fleet engagements of the most modern vessels yeah. in the world against some of the better, uh, some of the best admirals in history. Uh, and he won, he won these battles. Yeah. You, you can't, did. you can't he, turn he, that. And so that's, it's an interesting story there too, that he's not just, I think we think of pirates also as like generally small scale. You know, you don't see them fl- sailing yeah. fleets like that. But in that case, he was also yeah. in an so official in the, position. In what we call the golden age of piracy, if they had, you know, if, if they managed to, to cobble together four or five ships. Yeah. That was a very big fleet, and they usually didn't stay together very long. Uh, and so, you know, here this guy could he could he could come up hundreds of ships and then go on and take on the biggest navies. But the, uh, pirates have always feared navies, yeah. uh, and uh, that's not always true. There were places, uh, say, in China too, where where pirates yeah. were de- defeating navies. But for the most part, yeah, this is very different than when we think of the golden age of piracy, and we think, ah, you know, these this is very different, and they are this is a whole different scale of what's going on. And so it does kind of challenge the definition of what you think a pirate is, and yet, and you know what. Means, yeah. He's a pirate, right? I, I mean, that's the that's yeah, the I other. Don't, I don't feel bad about that. I think the people that are offended by that, and I don't, you know, mean offense to anybody, but I think the people are offended by that. I, t- I think they too too much meaning off of what you know, off the word pirate yeah. because we're not necessarily saying you're a villain. But I mean, he was an admiral. He was he wasn't stateless. Uh, he was certainly you know what you would call an officer in a military at, at the point that they were. Yeah. But I mean, he you know a military I mean you call together all your pirates and call them a navy. <laughs> uh, but but I, I don't think he would have ever been shy to say, yeah, I have made my living going out and stealing people's ships because I can overpower them on the seas. Uh, and then I made my, you know, my name by collecting together people who did that. Yeah. I don't think that he would be embarrassed yeah. to say that. He least. based the entire state on the idea of piracy. I mean, that mm-hmm. was that was his mm-hmm. whole. And, and so, it, you know, just because it had some organization, uh, I think you're right. That doesn't that doesn't mean they weren't pirates. Um, yeah. And I I don't think they would have benefited by the title. I don't know. But I mean, you know, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's you know, there's various arguments. I mean, they were also largely at war. Yeah. They said you know the you know the uh, European states would have thought nothing about taking um, uh, Ottoman no. ships on the seas either, it's and con- they did all just the constant time. conflict. Yeah. Yeah. And and there was money to be made that way, and he turned it mm-hmm. into not just himself taking a ship or two, but uh, into a huge economy. Which I mean, it it was it was an incredible mm-hmm. amount of goods and stuff were moving via piracy. Um, I, I do think it's it's shocking too that you know we don't we get a lot of these pirate stories. Uh, the pirate dies, the end of a yard arm, and yeah, and yeah. he 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 didn't. He ends up living nope. living peacefully in terms of you know successful. Gets a statue, get a statue when he dies. So that's uh, that's a successful. Uh, <laughs> if he was a pirate, he was he was one of the most successful in history yeah. because even the ones that were successful in that they collected a lot of money and they had a lot of you know they they came to bad ends. Yeah, and uh, you know he didn't. He he died a wealthy, venerated, uh, powerful man. Yeah, he enjoyed. He got to enjoy his spoils. He got to enjoy his life, and yeah, still be yeah. still be a, a fair pirate. play to the pirate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Arr. and. He had as many parrots as he wanted. <laughs> um, I was thinking, we mentioned another one. We're not going to talk about it today, but we have talked about it. Uh, Henry Every, who 
mm-hmm. I, I've seen people talk about him being one of the greatest pirates ever. And I think we even mm-hmm. talked a little bit about that in that episode. And and he also kind of led a fleet. Yeah. But I mean, in the end, he you know he caught him rich and he had no way to spend it. And he was he was caught because he was yeah. trying to sell the jewels that he got and you know died a pauper. And and uh, that's that's know, the story we've got that, of it. So so many of the stories that we tell, yeah, even the even the successful ones. Uh, you know they they come back and because they're lawless men yeah. and you know they have no they have no way to live a life and that uh, wasn't true with Frederick Barbara. Yeah, so when you're measuring, you know who's the greatest pirate ever, it is an interesting question because uh, yeah, every yeah. might fit a little There's more. Some, I mean, we haven't covered all no, the pirates. No, no, by, not and by like far. I said, there there might be there might be some uh, in especially in the South yeah. China Sea and stuff like that. There's some that also you know established essentially kingdoms and and took on navies and stuff. But I mean, of the pirates that we've talked about. Uh, and we've talked about a lot of different kinds of pirates. Uh, I, I I don't think any of them can say that we we had the success that that Barbarossa did. I mean, none of them wound up Sultan, yeah. right? So I mean, even uh, the because because you're right. Even though every might have uh, more or less gotten away with that money, he didn't get to. to he doesn't have statues built of him. Uh, where yeah. he you know and venerated. Yeah, for... he's, Frederick Barbarossa is still considered a hero. Yeah. Uh, and there's there's <laughs> there's not a lot of pirates that. You know, that really well, I mean, like even that, the so. modern state of Algeria owes quite a bit to you know what he what mm-hmm. he did historically. To, to what there's he been a significant now, so. amount of change. I'm not gonna, we're not really here to talk about Algerian history, but that's you know that's that's one of the one of the early historical pieces of that, and it's just it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting to see that and to talk about you know what makes a pirate successful, and a little bit to talk about if you're as successful as Barbarossa, at what point, uh, you know, at what point is your your position as pirate a little uh, questionable yeah when you when you when a pirate earns respectability isn't that the uh, uh what is that uh captain blood i'm trying to remember there's a classic yeah. movie and it's, in the end he he ends up becoming a nobleman at the end that's one of those errol flynn movies yeah. but uh yeah well i mean when you when you attain respectability you know maybe maybe by the end of his life he didn't like being called a pirate but i mean there's you, you couldn't look in the middle of his life and say that he was he wasn't a pirate i mean that's no. exactly what pirates are yeah <laughs> yeah that's and that well and i think maybe that's also partially that um pirate was a was a profession in addition to mm-hmm. it, we think about it as being kind of a way of life uh, I think in a lot of our of our you know when you watch Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, but it was something that you could do and then eh, leave and go do other things. And he ultimately, yeah. you know, when he stopped sailing, he had other stuff to do, largely thanks to his fair. piracy. <laughs> yeah, and he, his piracy did thrive on an, an ongoing yeah. war, a conflict in war, and that's part. And the story is really it's a it's a it's a very interesting episode with his family too, his brother. Uh, he wasn't necessarily yeah. the first of the, the Barbarossa. He, he actually kind of took the name after his brother died. Uh, and uh, uh, I mean, it's yeah, it's all around, it's just a fascinating story. But I mean, for uh, among pirates, he's a, he's a different. He's very different than other pirates, and the and the things that we think about from the you know the the Long John Silver sort of pirate. Yeah. He's very different. Yeah, uh, Jack Sparrow, I think, would have been in trouble against Hayred. I don't think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, at, at best, Jack Sparrow's kind of got the the, same the, the one boat more or less, right? Sure. So the the other episode we just listened to, uh, taking a taking a little bit of a. a jaunt across across the atlantic there and we're going to the caribbean which is mm-hmm. possibly the most famous place for pirates pretty got to be pretty close to the mediterranean when you really look at the history but um it is another interesting one because this was mm-hmm. similar to similar to the way that barbarossa kind of set yeah, up it uh, has has a similarity then is that they were able to build kind of a pirate culture yeah. a pirate city uh, and uh, collect together pirates become fairly powerful because of that. I mean, you have that that similarity, not not on the same no. scale, 
Uh, and something that I think was always doomed because at some point, you know, uh, privateering was going to go away and, and the European power is going to come together and attack it. But uh, you don't really uh, – it, it just it's, – it's kind of shocking to think about it because you don't think about pirates setting up routes. Uh, and therefore, you don't think about the pirate city being destroyed in an earthquake. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a very strange story, yeah. And that goes back and uh, allows us an archaeological record of what the lifestyle was like. Uh, that is just unparalleled. This is absolutely stunning. So this, the story is both of the pirates and Port Royal, but also of the earthquake yeah. and what that means for our understanding of the history of Pirates of the Golden Age. Yeah. It's, it's another, it's just a really interesting, it, it all came together in a particular way. And mm-hmm. this is, and we know when it happened because yeah. a watch stopped. Though so someone asked me, "How do you know the watch wasn't broken before that?" I'm like, "Well, you know, I guess we have to take some things." Out yeah, of it's <laughs> I, admittedly that's perhaps maybe a little bit of a of a, of some guesswork, but I, I I mean, it's not like that's uncommon. We find clocks stopped on those things. We're constantly yeah, like, this is that's how you know sometimes when, when the happened. car accident occurred yeah. or something like that is when their watch stopped. So this, I mean, it, that you know, it really is an extraordinary history. Uh, and it really, you know, those the place was a sandbar, and it, they kept growing the sandbar, and so it was particularly vulnerable when the when the quake came, uh, and that really did, you know, break their power to the point where the place where the pirate city was ends up being the place where the the British Navy hangs pirates. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, right in the same place. Yeah, that's that's uh, there's an irony there. That's something else. And but that if there's something closer to you know pirates of the Caribbean yeah. or whatever, I mean, that is, uh, man, that city had to be something. Yeah. You know, a lot of a lot of wealth running through, a lot of people that are, you know, living on the edge, a lot of people who are violent by nature, you know, a not lot, a lot of, of rules. Are, yeah, so yeah, not a lot of rules. So I mean that's gotta be the the crazy drinking I mean they you know, they even had drunken parrots. I mean crazy. literally they had drunken parrots. So I mean, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's 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 one of those it's like a fictional story that sounds oh that's it, Yeah, it's it's hard <laughs> I don't to know if I can buy So that. it would be something I mean I imagine it smelled rather bad to be honest, but I mean it would have been something to see Port Royal before the earthquake yeah. and, and really uh this, that, I mean, that culture would have been something. Certainly would have had its own uh, and, uh, color. I, I don't think they had a marshal keeping order, you know. So. Yeah, I don't think they were probably bothering too much with that. It certainly doesn't sound like they no. were. Uh, and it, yeah, and, you know, a crew comes in and they've been successful. Then they've just got they've got gold to spend, yeah. and you know they they don't know they're going to live through the next uh, voyage. So they you know they spend it. Yeah, and that's care. quite aside from whether you run out into a warship that's going to sink you. you. You never know what a storm yeah, is going to. Yeah, every time you go, you never know. And they, you know who knew that you're going to come home yeah. and an earthquake is going to hit and you're going to die. Any idea. And that's that ends up being kind of I I mean, not having rules is probably part of why that city was built that way. But yeah, there were also plenty of cities that were built, (laughs) you know, with plenty of rules Mm -hmm. that get taken out by an earthquake. I don't know that... They also get hit by earthquake. You're right. It's just as they're just vulnerable to us. Yeah. Maybe more so because they were kind of pushed to the fringes. Uh, but I mean, you're right. You know, like you know, uh, Lisbon was yep. destroyed by an earthquake. And, and uh, you know, that was a major, you know, modern city of its time. So, I mean, it could happen to anybody. But I mean, you know, you're living on the beach and you're throwing sand down and then you're building buildings straight on top of that yeah, sand. Yeah, it was... And, you know, it all didn't work out It was well. a particularly yeah. bad design. And yeah, there's uh, always the th- that you don't want to build took the ships in the harbor too. Yeah. So you weren't even s- safe in the boat because uh, those were all washed yeah. over. So I mean, it was I mean, it was absolutely devastating. Yeah, and it, and and it would have been devastating no matter where it hit. But it was particularly yeah. <laughs> the way that that city was. Just well, gonna... and, we, and we learned that their their pirate city was. I mean, it was already struggling for yeah. various reasons before the earthquake. But I mean, the, you know, the, the pirate city was particularly vulnerable because they they simply didn't have resources yeah. to rebuild. It wasn't like a national. You know, resource. No, it went well, and you you weren't going to have people come together and be like, "Oh, this is our home." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but you know, we're gonna 
we're going to rebuild our, you know, our heritage or whatever. Yeah, that's that's I mean, not necessarily know. what that was about. It does, you know, the Caribbean and the way we're able to to talk in this episode, the 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 line between privateers and pirates was awfully thin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and honestly, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, they're probably frequently trading trading places. They were, yeah. I mean, sometimes. Well, I mean, this is that the title buccaneer came yeah. from people that were actually illegally taking meat and drawing it. Yeah. And, I mean, so this is, uh, this is, it was not, by the way, the rumor, it was not because they were, you know, you got a dollar, a pirate's ear that you captured or anything like that. No. But uh, anyway, and this talks about the story of buccaneer, but yes, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, these crews would be deciding, you know, if it was a rich prize, did you want to violate your letters of mark and attack anybody or were you going to stay with the rules because that would give you some legal protection if you were captured? Some. And, and so, I, in the in the golden age, I think that virtually everybody that's plied the trade would sometimes be operating as a privateer and sometimes be operating as a pirate, yeah. and you know that was kind of kind of the way it worked. Changing flags and that kind of stuff, but ultimately, mm-hmm. you know, most of them, uh, although plenty of them had at one point or another been a part of a European navy. You know, at the at the time yeah. that they're privateers, those are usually a lot of them had been had yeah. been deserters. Or they also might have been, say, merchant yeah. mariners, and their ship was captured by pirates. And then you know, you know, you got a choice: join the crew or you know, walk the plank. <laughs> uh, and uh, and so they had chosen the, the life too. So I mean, I'm sure it was a mixed bag. But the thing is, it would have been more, say, ethnically diverse yeah. than most European cultures at the time. Uh, and uh, it, you know, it's hard to say exactly what it was like. But I mean, it, I I would imagine Port Royal was different than almost any other city on earth. Yeah. And uh, and uh, and was I mean, again, it would be interesting to see it. And it's it is fascinating that we have such a time capsule of it that we can understand this otherwise kind of lost culture. Uh, that you know, at very least, captures the imagination. It's one of those one of those kind of ironies of uh, archaeology, which you think about too, with like Pompeii, is that this was an mm-hmm. enormous natural disaster that completely wiped out. Uh, I mean, killed yeah, all terrible. these people, wiped out the city, and yet the irony is that it also preserved it. Yeah, in a way, so that we understand, and you know, there we didn't know them, but <laughs> yeah, it's it is it is hard. To, it is, you are so appreciative of the archaeology that it's hard sometimes to grasp the human yeah. tragedy that made that possible. That's true. Yeah, and it's it's that's true. Dinosaurs too, uh, right? You find a dinosaur nest. That's a that's a whole nest full of eggs and get open because the you know got buried under volcanic ash. That's or whatever, true. That so. was a bad day for those dinosaurs. That was that for them. It was terrible, and for us, it's like, woohoo, we found a dinosaur. Yeah. I did like because uh, in reminding me of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, this the Brethren of the Coast, which first of all yeah. is an awesome name. <laughs> it's 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 a way to feel, but it's one of those you know when they have the the pirate captains, the great pirate captains come together. It's it's an mm-hmm. interesting kind of idea that there was something like that 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 really happened, and maybe not in the same yeah. scale, but and it was really it was more. I mean, that was more like merchant men yeah. realizing that they they needed to not compete with each other and certain ways and stuff like that but it is kind of interesting that they did build a hierarchy and they built a set of rules uh and, they, and you know and if someone ran afoul of those rules they would enforce the rules and yeah uh, it was you know that was piracy was more than a profession it was a culture yes. uh and it's an interesting culture uh, to understand like any other historical culture yeah uh, and i think that that's cool that we get to do that here and it does. I mean, like like the last one, kind of complicates some of our our the popular image of a pirate. I mean, so does this one. And yet, in some ways, it also perfectly fits. 
Yes. <laughs> well, because our image, the Western image of a pirate is from the yeah. golden age of piracy, which is what Port Royal yeah. is too. So a lot different than, you know, Barbarossa or yeah. something like that. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, so in some ways, these were a bunch of, I mean, they were, you know, probably there were quite a few of them with peg legs and missing eyes and had had various injuries. And, well, uh, they we know they had parrots because they had drunken parrots. So, I mean, yeah, this is, this is in some ways it reinforces yeah. the stereotype, but in other ways, you know, no, no pirate movie is even close to what pirates really were. I mean, I, I think no pirate movie really represents how bad pirates were as people, but also doesn't represent how you know, interesting it was that they had a, a civilization, a culture. Yeah. And, and a lot of those people had been forced into the position that they were in. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because it, it does. It challenges your your uh, preconceptions of a pirate, but it also reinforces some of it. Certainly them living in a city that uh, is dubbed Sodom of the West. I, I mean, that I've I've seen some some pirate movies. That I'm like, yeah, but you could describe this city as that way. Like it's a it yeah. makes sense, and that's it's kind of interesting to be like, this is the legend, and uh, there's yeah, so reality in, there. in the area. So that the Sodom of the West was, I mean, they noticed right away. Oh yeah. yeah, the Sodom of the West was destroyed by the hand of God. Yeah, that 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 caused some religious revival. Yeah, there, I, yes, which I can there, understand. Yeah. It's just impossible to to overlook that one, whether it was mm-hmm. random chance or not. Uh, and I mean, you know, afterward, after they do the earthquake, then the city burns down. It's not like that was uncommon. Uh, <laughs> lots, oh, lots yeah, yeah. of places well, burned. San Francisco, burned. Right. yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Earthquakes tended, to, fires followed earthquakes yeah. because you had cooking stoves going on. You know, yeah. Magellan TV is sponsoring this episode, and they sponsor all of our podcasts. And if you've listened to the podcast, you know that what we like to do is talk about what we've been watching on Magellan TV lately. And so, what have you been watching on Magellan TV? Yeah, yeah, I, I love Magellan TV. We watch all sorts of things. This uh, this week, I happen to wander into space. They have a lot of uh, documentaries. So I watched one called The Dream of Interstellar Flight, uh, and uh, or about interstellar flights called Faster Than Light is the name of the uh, is the name of the video. So you know, Einstein tells you you can't go faster than light, uh, but this is talking about you know if we're if we're ever going to be a spacefaring race, uh, maybe there is a potential of different kinds of. Uh, uh, propulsion uh, that allows us to make that possible. It really, it focuses on going to like one of the closest, to, I think, to Proxima Centauri, which is one of the closest to, uh, uh, of the places where there might be planets that are Earth size, where it might be in, a, in the sort of Goldilocks zone. But I mean, it's really interesting. It's one of those, you know, it's got a lot of CGI am- animation of, of theoretical spacecraft and, and talks about things that we've only heard in science fiction, like antimatter and warp drive, uh, and talks about those as, as, you know, maybe they are possible from a real scientific standpoint. So I thought it was really fun to watch. It's a lot of, you know, the, <laughs> the pun, pie in the sky ideas about how we might get our pie across the galaxy. Uh, and it's one of the cool things about Magellan is that, you know, one day you could be watching a video about frogs or fish, and the next day you're watching about ancient Egypt, and the next day you're talking about, you know, the future. And, and uh, it's, it's fun. So I really enjoyed it. It's it's uh, it's not very long. It's it's very much a watchable uh, episode and gives you a, a really kind of an interesting idea that what's what you're reading in science fiction books could actually be reality sometime. So what I one of the things I was watching this week, I was actually watching it with my wife. Uh, it's called Customs, and it is a UK show. It is filmed in uh, Gatwick and Bristol airports, and they are catching drugs coming into the UK. Uh, for mm-hmm. one, apparently there's a, there's a very large black market for uh, cigarettes, especially. But uh, I mean, they also mm-hmm. catch cocaine, marijuana stuff coming through. I really enjoyed watching this show. Uh, it's it's very kind of different than the the other documentary stuff we watch. It's it's pretty reality televisiony, very much like uh, kind of like cops, yeah, like cops. Sort of yeah, thing. there we yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. yeah like you're just kind of yeah, following. It's an interesting bit of true crime. Yeah, yeah. and it, yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, they got to figure out who looks shady when they're coming through the airport. 
Well, they'll come with huge numbers of cigarettes, too. Oh, I mean, my God, yeah. There's a limit on what you carry. <laughs> so they're clearly taking me in for resale, and they'll be like, oh, I was bringing this for my yeah. mom. And they just <laughs> and they no. just lie. <laughs> I, <it's, laughs> some, of it, some of it, though, sometimes I'm just like, my goodness, how stupid could you be? For one, they catch this guy, and they're like, oh, what's the description of the guy you're supposed to meet? And he gives them the description, and then they're like, okay, well, let's call that guy to the, you know, let's just call him on the terminal. And I'm like, there's no way. There's no way you call this guy's name and he comes, he just shows up. He's got to know that the jig is up by the time they call his name. Nope. He, <laughs> nope, he shows up. <laughs> I'm like, can you imagine you were a drug smuggler there to meet the guy bringing in the drugs and you're, and you're just like, oh, they're calling my name on the intercom. Better yeah, go. It comes across the intercom. <laughs> I'm going to go over there. Maybe uh, maybe my car is parked. So it's it's a lot of fun to watch. It's a little different than a lot of what uh, we've, we've uh, talked about before. But again, it's something really, really interesting and really talks about just the diversity that you can find on Magellan TV. And of course, if you are a listener or watcher of The History Guy, you can always go to try.magellantv.com slash historyguy, where we will always have a deal for you, sometimes a free month or a deal on an annual membership, or even a documentary that you can watch for free. Again, that's try.magellantv.com slash historyguy. Next up, The History Guy talks about some settlers that were heading to Jamestown when they were interrupted by pirates. And stay tuned after the episode to hear us chat a little more with the history guy. In 1621, a small vessel challenged the seas, part of that very tenuous connection between Mother England and her struggling colony in Virginia. Along the way, they had an adventure, one of the many challenges of traveling on the seas in the 17th century. And in many ways, their struggle against the odds on the high seas was emblematic of the struggles of the people living in that place called Jamestown and came at a desperate time for England's first permanent settlement in the Americas. People who would have to struggle to survive in Virginia first had to struggle to survive against pirates. And don't all great stories involve pirates? The colonization of the New World was fraught with danger for those willing to make the journey. The danger was not only in the harsh life of living on the frontier and fighting with the native populations, but dangerous from the very instant they stepped on the boat that would take them from Europe. At sea they faced the danger of storms, hunger, mutiny, and pirates, all before they ever set their eyes on the New World they hoped to call home. When the ship Margaret and John left England in February of 1621, it carried 85 passengers sent by the Virginia Company to join the colony at Jamestown, which at the time was home to fewer than a thousand people. The ship carried 150 tons burden, making it larger than the Susan Constant, the largest of the ships that, in 1607, had brought the colonists who founded Jamestown. Still, the ship would have not been much larger than 100 feet long. Margaret and John was likely square-rigged, and similar to her contemporary ship, the Mayflower. Aboard the ship was Dr. Lawrence Bahan, a shareholder in the company who had recently been appointed the Physician General of the colony. The ship was also laden with supplies for the desperately needy colonists, and included on it a hopeful new source of revenue, silkworms. Though over a decade old, Jamestown was far from settled, and the colonists were still struggling. By 1621, they had survived the first winter, which had killed so many of the first colonists, had weathered poor harvests and trouble with the Powhatan Confederacy, and had even come through the infamous Starving Time. But the colony had still not yet turned a profit, and most of the many people sent there died. It was these problems which would lead to the revocation of the company's charter and royalization of the colony by King Charles I a few years later, in 1624. 
but the company was doing what it could to try and turn its fortunes around before that happened. The silkworms were another in a series of plans to improve the company's financial output. In 1620, John Pory, the first speaker of the General Assembly established in 1619, wrote to one of the founders of the Virginia Company, emphasizing that silk production was a marvelous, hopeful commodity in this country. From England, the Margaret and John followed the Dutch-English trade route to the Americas, first traveling south and then west towards the Lesser Antilles Islands in the Caribbean. After many tempests and foul weather, they reached the New World in March of 1620, first stopping on the island of Dominica. They traveled on to the island of Nevis on the 14th of March, where, as Captain Anthony Chester described it, having been 11 weeks pestered in this unwholesome ship, they planned to take a few hours to get off the cramped vessel. As they approached, they found two ships flying Dutch colors anchored nearby. After it moored, the English ship sent a rowboat to the nearest Dutch ship to hail the supposedly friendly vessels. Captain Chester knew it was better to be too cautious than too lax. As the Englishmen neared the Dutch ship, they were surprised when the men aboard demanded their surrender. They bid a hasty retreat instead, under fire. Cannonballs hit some of their oars, splintering them, but without injuring anyone. The crew reported to the captain that the ships were not Dutch, but were Spanish man-o'-wars. The Spanish saw North America as theirs by right of discovery, supported by a papal bull issued by Pope Alexander VI. The Spanish were threatened and resentful of English colonization in the New World, which they saw as violating the terms of the 1605 Treaty of London that had ended the 19-year Anglo-Spanish War. Moreover, the Spanish feared that the colony would become a base for privateering against their treasure fleets. Although it was considered, and the Spanish spies regularly reported on the defenses at the colony, the Spanish had avoided a direct attack so far. The Spanish were already stretched too thin by efforts to occupy their existing settlements in the Caribbean, New Spain, what is now called Mexico, Peru, and New Granada, and an attack on the colony directly threatened to break the peace of 1604, drawing England back into the Eighty Years' War. The Spanish made a calculated decision not to attack Jamestown, assuming the colony would struggle rather than thrive. Still, the Spanish fleets kept a lookout for the English adventurers. The ships that the Margaret and John had run into would happily have captured or destroyed the Margaret and John and everybody aboard. In the 17th century, piracy was just another part of diplomacy. The larger ship, called the Admiral in published reports, was further away, but the smaller, the Vice Admiral, was already preparing to attack. The 103 souls aboard the Margaret and John were spurred into action. In all, the tiny English ship had eight iron cannons, medium pieces called demi-culverins, and a light cannon called a falconet. But the ship was so stuffed with supplies and household goods that even those they could not properly bring to bear. They were able to get four into position and stored muskets, pikes, and other weapons within easy reach. Captain Chester knew he was outgunned and outmanned and intended to run, but the Vice Admiral was too quick and forced the English into a fight most desperate. An account by a passenger said, The Spaniard, however, gave us no chance for flight, so that we found that we had to choose between two evils, either to fight desperately or to surrender ourselves into slavery. The enemy ship opened fire almost immediately, damaging the starboard side of the ship, so the English settled in for a fight, and, answering their unkindness with such a fair shot from a demi-culvering that shot her between wind and water, fought the Spanish off with a lucky shot. Now the larger of the two ships approached, striking the Dutch colors and running up the Spanish flag instead. According to a later account of the battle, the two larger of the ships was around 300 tons and the smaller 200, with the larger ship carrying 22 brass cannons, more advanced than the small cast-iron pieces aboard the Margaret and John, and the smaller carrying another 16 guns. The Admiral came close to the English ship and hailed them. 
The Spanish captain demanded to know what nation they hailed from, and then demanded that the English take down their mainsail, as required by the rights of the King of Spain. Captain Chester replied that they were bound for Virginia, and that the kings, our masters, are friends. We intend no wrong, nor will we take any. The Spanish then demanded the captain board their ship and show him his commission, but Chester refused, instead offering to show it to any officer that they would send to see it. Tired of the charade, as one passenger described the Spanish response, instead of answering by word of mouth, they saluted us with two pieces of cannon and a hailstorm of musket balls. The English took cover as the Spanish grappled the smaller ship, yelling insults and threatening to cut them to pieces. The Spanish had opened fire on the deck, but as they boarded, found the whole of the top deck clear. For a moment it appeared that they had had their prey, but at a sign previously agreed upon, the English opened fire with their cannons and muskets, and Captain Chester reported, in the end, they were violently repulsed. The fighting was vicious. The captain would later claim that the crew of the Margaret and John encountered them so rudely that their fury was not only abated, but their hastiness interrupted. Several of the crew were injured in the fight, but the Spanish had the worst of it. As Captain Chester said, I'm sure they had two for one. There was a brief lull before the Spanish regrouped and charged a second time, and again the English colonists beat them back. As the passenger later said, our men, led by our brave and courageous captain, received them so well with their muskets, spears, and grappling axes that we throw them off a second time, sending many of them to a watery grave. After the second encounter, Captain Chester became enraged, shouting and challenging the Spanish to come again. They did, and in the desperate fighting, the Spanish captain was slain when a volley of small shot was fired into the borders. We had the good luck to shoot their admiral down, recalled a passenger. Now the Spaniards raised such a hue and cry that it astonished the English, and the Spanish fled the battle, only escaping the English ship when Captain Chester ordered the grappling ropes cut. They fired a few shots off as they retreated, but the English were victorious. A passenger described the battle. We attacked the Spaniards so bravely, and fought as heroes, or rather as madmen, and played upon them with our muskets and fork cannon so furiously that they were forced to leave us the victory. Another said, Their scuppers run with blood coloring the sea in their quarter. The fight had lasted two and a half hours. The vice admiral ship remained afield, but the English took the initiative, attacking it before it could grapple them. They could only use four guns, but the colonists used theirs to much greater effect, forcing the ship to flee to shallow waters for repairs, and the crew to take shelter on the shore. The triumphant English colonists resumed their journey to Virginia, but shortly found the Spanish ship still following them at a distance. They spent a tense night refilling cartridges, treating wounds, and praying. At dawn, the Spanish remained on their tail, but turned away after two hours of staring at each other with frowning faces. The Englishman recounting the tale was pleased to add that it was plain they must have had a good many dead and wounded. Still, the fight had not come without a cost. Eight men at the Margaret and John were killed outright, including Dr. Bahan. When he fell, it is said that the captain embraced him, crying, Oh, Dr. Bahan, what a disaster this is! The injured surgeon replied, Fight it out, brave man! The cause is good, and Lord receive my soul. Another sixteen men were wounded, including several French castaways the ship had rescued, and the captain himself. Two of the injured died from their wounds, but the rest recovered to reach Virginia. It is not known precisely how many Spanish were killed. Despite the loss of Dr. Bahun, the safe arrival of the Margaret and John provided critical supplies and colonists to the Jamestown colony, which at the time had less than a thousand surviving colonists. Among the colonists to arrive was a ten-year-old named Abraham Wood, who would eventually serve in the Virginia House of Burgesses, and would become among the first Englishmen to explore the interior of the continent. 
Wood personally explored the upper reaches of the James and Roanoke Rivers and was responsible for the first English explorations of the southern Appalachian Mountains. Among the casualties of the battle were the fragile silkworm larvae that the colonists had hoped to turn into an industry. The larvae were said to have miscarried during the battle. Apparently whatever container they were in was destroyed. The colony would continue to try to raise silkworms and actually managed to produce some silk, but never in economic quantities. The fight with the Spanish men of war made a splash in the English press. The first account was published in 1621 and several others were published, including one purportedly from Captain Chester himself. The English seemed to be quite proud of the performance of their small vessel against the larger Spanish warships. Captain Chester stayed in Virginia for a while and then loaded up the Margaret and John with goods from the colony and sailed back to England. Captain Chester's final fate is unknown, but the Margaret and John made several more trips to the colony, at least until 1623. So this is actually a really unique episode for a couple of reasons. Uh, I, I wrote this one. But one of the how I came across it was just kind of serendipity. And I think that a lot of people kind of ask how we come up with some of these topics, how we how we find it. This one was a little more unique than some because I do genealogy. And as I was looking through genealogy, I just happened to be looking through it's like a biography of early colonists to Virginia. And I started talking about this guy who is uh, my 12th great grandfather and therefore the history guy's 11th great grandfather. And he was on this ship called the Margaret and John. And it just mentioned, oh, he was on this famous that, that famously fought pirates. And I was like, mm hmm. That's interesting. Who, who had ever heard the story where these guys go into Jamestown and been attacked by French pirates? Yeah, totally, or Spanish and pirates. And it's it's but... such a or Spanish pirates. It's such a compelling story. Yeah. You know, they're the you know the civilians are fighting them off with the halberds on the on the deck, and they they uh, surprise them with a can. It's just a great story. It's really exciting, uh, and it's it, that's one of those where there's. I mean, you you had to find fairly thin read yes. of what was recorded in order to turn that into an episode of the History Guy. But that's what we love. We love forgotten history. Yeah, that's why we're here, and it's a story that just really deserves to be remembered. And and it's, it really affected the colony yeah. because the guy that was going to be the what the chief doctor yeah. for the colony, right? He died on the died in the in the fight. Yeah, yeah one of the because they they actually lost relatively few people. Of course, there is some reason to take there since that's really all the all of the stories about this fight we get from the people who are on the boat. So the the English yeah. we don't we don't get to see whatever the Spanish or the pirates side of the of the story. And so they, I mean, the, to them they're like, oh, they definitely took more more damage than we did. We killed lots of them. I don't know. That's there, there's some reasons to perhaps doubt those those bits, but uh, it's really it's really interesting to me that this was we came across this because and he, Abraham Wood was ten years old, which uh, you did mention in the video because we talked about him a little bit. He he becomes a major general and he serves in the, the House of Burgesses there in Virginia, um, mm -hmm. and so he he did he did some really cool stuff afterward, and he essentially had you know barely survived a pirate fight on his his way over and. It, it really kind of allowed us to talk about more than just pirates mm -hmm. because it wasn't just about these Spanish who attacked, but we were able to talk about everything that was on this boat and the difficulties of them. I mean, they had a difficult time even getting to where yeah, they were. Yeah, we get to talk about Jamestown, yeah. but it's still a pirate story. Oh, yeah, it's still I mean, a pirate story. I mean, it is a pirate story, yeah. yeah. I, the, well, it's, uh, who, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't I, I mean, that was well before the Golden Age. Yeah. You didn't really think about running into pirates. at the, All the travails that you would have, Trying to go become a, a colonist in the new world, yeah. 
you you really didn't consider that you're going to be attacked by Spanish pirates. I mean, that's just not you know that's not on the list. You know, you figure you'd die in a storm, or or you might starve when you get there, or you could die. You know, fighting the natives, uh, it killed a lot of people there yep. in Jamestown. But you know, the idea that you're going to be attacked by pirates and having to defend yourself, or they're going to take away everything you got, then that's uh, it's really an interesting story. But I mean, they it is just a great story. They were brave. They were outgunned. They shouldn't have won that fight, and they did because of of you know guts and bravado, and uh, you know, and uh, that's a story that deserves to be told deserves to be remembered yeah. they certainly were right that surrendering was probably not going to be was not going to be good for them i don't know exactly yeah. what the spanish would have done but i mean officially uh, england and spain were not at war and there was no there was really no reason yeah, I mean, to expect they were the they were very much trying to destroy each other's uh, colonies yeah. though so it's hard. i mean i don't know that the spanish would have killed them but i mean certainly you weren't going to end up you know getting safely to your colony uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, they uh, you know they were fighting for their lives, and they were fighting for their future, and uh, that's that's as compelling a story as there is, uh, and just uh, just a strength because this is not you know all of these stories that we've told. There's a different kind of versions of pirates yeah. and how how piracy occurs, and you know that's not necessarily what you would, you would think is going to happen. But their ship almost taken on the high seas. Uh, you know, by someone who wanted to take their stuff, and, yeah. and they had to fight, and uh, and they weren't a military, but they but they were able to defend themselves. They were not well armed board, yeah. either. They had, I mean, they had some stuff, but uh, certainly, and these two these two Spanish ships were not, uh, they weren't huge, huge like ships, you know, ships of the line, but they were much better armed and much bigger, though, better but. gunned. I just, I like that idea of, of the Spaniards trying to crawl over the gun walls yeah. and you're push, pushing them off with these pikes. I mean, they had a, <laughs> just what, what they've got. You do, you do have an advantage when they're trying to crawl over the yeah. side of the boat there if you've got a long pointy stick. So yeah, they. But I mean, they you know they were civilians pressed into that service and you know that. But everybody who was going to uh, colonize uh, was a soldier of some sort, yeah. and they knew that they would have to participate in the defense of the colony. And so that maybe not as much as it sounds. This wasn't like you took a bunch of people off the street of New York or something like that. I mean, these are people that you know knew that they were going to go in and, and you know, knew what life was going to be like. Expected but to be still, rough. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary. I mean, it's, it's not just that the story is so surprising and that it lets us talk a lot about Jamestown yeah. and what was going on in Jamestown at the time and why this particular boat was so important. And, of course, every time you got a supply ship, that was maybe the difference between that colony surviving and not surviving. But it's also, I mean, that the story itself, and that is how they were attacked, how they defended themselves, the way that they got away from it is all. It's just a compelling, interesting story. Uh, and uh, one that was almost, you know, it's, it's very little record of it. It's almost, yeah. you know, forgotten to history. And so it's the sort of thing we'd love to talk about. It was a really interesting one. This is, uh, honestly, if we find topics like this that are, there is no mention of them on Wikipedia, Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. are, I, I love that's it. Where, that's our favorite. Yeah. When there's not even a Wikipedia entry yet, that means that we're winning. That, that means this is this is something that's truly unknown. And yet it But I mean you make a fair point that the more that it's like that though, yeah. the less we have to go on yeah. and the less that we know, you know, the whole story because we, you know, wouldn't necessarily be reported from both sides. And and so, you know, when we choose obscure history, which the history guy does, uh, that also means that sometimes you're you're working from thin yeah. uh, resources and you're only telling the best story that you can put together with what you got. Well, and what, like one of the, one of the sources we have on this particular, uh, this particular episode supposedly comes from the, the captain, Captain Chester himself. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're, we're not 100% sure uh, that that's what it says it is, but like, we don't, we, we can't know for mm -hmm. sure. We don't know what happens to Captain Chester. He doesn't, he seems to kind of, I mean, you might be able to find that out with enough research, but he kind of seems to disappear. Uh, the ship sticks around for a while, at least, and we do know what happens to it. But I, I mean, I remember some people in the comments talking about, you know, whether they were really Spanish pirates or, or Spanish, you know, or if they were somebody else. And I, I guess to some extent, uh, we don't know. 
it, we're, we're trusting mm-hmm. we're trusting the fact that these sources say that they flew up Spanish flags, and then we're trusting that they were in fact Spanish. I don't necessarily know for sure, but what, like we talk about in the episode, and we make a good argument, I think, for why Spain might have been interested in sinking an English ship going to uh, mm-hmm. going to Jamestown. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a surprise. I think that you know the logic fits together. Yeah, and it's it's probably a good story. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think that's who you know would have attacked them. I don't know who else would have been there in the water and would have been trying to attack yeah. them. And they, they they were aggressively trying to prevent uh, people from colonizing on on because they they considered the new world to be theirs. And of course, in the mercantilist idea, you know, anytime any of your enemies are getting control yeah. of these resources, and that 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 is a threat to your. Uh, I mean, well, we did an episode what just last week talking about the same thing going on, you know, off of Vancouver. Yeah, I mean, they're still they're still fighting this battle three centuries later. Uh, and uh, so it's uh, it's uh, you know I, I I think that that the story of who it was you know makes a lot of sense and it fit together historically and and I think we're probably telling a story that's at least pretty close to uh, reality even if the details were only from one side. I I think so too and I think it makes sense that they they would be Spanish and I you know we weren't there ultimately and we don't we have yeah. as far as I know any report of what the Spanish did. Uh, when we when we talk about whether you know yeah and and who knows you know would you even would you tell your boss yeah. if you attacked and lost they might not have necessarily <laughs> uh, I mean probably they were working under some kind of orders to you know like if you uh-huh. happen to see an English ship and you get an opportunity uh, uh-huh. but I can tell you that if that had become an international incident I don't think Spain would have taken that <laughs> yeah, the Spain would have been like oh they were working without orders they were they were just yeah, pirates <laughs> yeah so and uh, and who knows you know in, in terms of all that record, where yeah. those records might be too, even True. if they wrote or might be account. hard to find them. Yeah, but I mean, there's there's more reason for the people from Jamestown to write the account than there would be for the for the Spanish who you know accosted the ship and it got away. You know? Yeah, the 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 fact I mean, it was reported fairly widely in the English press, and that makes sense because of course these were these were English colonists who were like, ah, well, the the mighty Spanish <laughs> attempted to stop you know, some, I mean, literally an innocent colonization ship that was armed with nothing but demi culverins and muskets and pikes <laughs> and we fought them off i mean that's that's a great story but yeah that doesn't sound so great for the spanish uh on the other side and i mean there were a lot of things like that that could happen that would not necessarily turn into an international incident just because you know maybe had the potential to uh, ultimately it was dangerous to cross the atlantic but i do think i mean I don't know. You can't say for sure, like you know, if this if the ship hadn't reached Jamestown, what would have happened? If if this was if this ship was key to the survival of Jamestown, ultimately, I think it's difficult to make that argument. Uh, but it was important that this ship showed up, and it was important that the people who did show up on it did, and those that died there, mm-hmm. you know, that they didn't. That that Doctor mm-hmm. Doctor Bohan, Bo, Bohan, that he didn't make it. I mean, that that had to have been a, a relevant. Yeah. It, people had to, to be disappointed. Had to have changed the the course of yeah. events somehow. Yeah. And I also I think about the silkworms, and I think that that's you know that's another way we get to talk about something that's not just about the pirates. It's that uh, how desperate Jamestown was even years I mean this was after the the traditional like the the hardest years in Jamestown and yet they were still they didn't turn a profit they were desperate to make money yeah. somehow uh, and they were looking for any method to do it and I think that I don't, I don't know that they do a lot of silkworms I don't think there's like silkworm production in Virginia today I could be wrong about that but uh, I know that they had brought over uh, mulberry trees which is what they like to and they even did manage to make some silk there not from these silkworms mm-hmm. of course because these silkworms miscarried during the fight, whatever precisely that means. 
but it's it's a really interesting story to think about. You know, these were people who were they were out there on a on a wing and a prayer and a in a boat with some silkworms, mm-hmm. hoping that that was going to make the difference. Mm-hmm. And you know, even if the silkworms didn't, it's really part of that big narrative of how England was trying to establish itself in the Americas and if it was worth it to do so. Which I think that I mean that that's got a pretty big comment on. Uh, all of us in the United States, because that's uh, history could have changed a lot if the British had decided there was no reason for them to have colonies in North mm-hmm. America. Yeah, uh, and all, uh, yeah, certainly our past would be different. Yeah. We, we, we both grew up and descended of that, yeah. uh, of that thing was called. Yeah, and it's, it's, he's, he was 10 years old in this fight. I, I, wonder, I wonder what his experience was. I uh, wasn't able to find anything like a journal or anything that described his own I don't know if he was trying to hold a musket and help a fight, or if he was hiding somewhere in the <laughs> inside the yeah, ship. Yeah. While they, I, I really don't know. At ten years old, he might have very well been expected to be a part of the defense of the of the, of the ship. Defense, when yeah, it, he was traveling to, you know, live as a colonist in uh, in Virginia, uh, and he went on to have an important life too. And yes, of course, mm-hmm. without him, he is one link in a very long chain that yeah. uh, links it, it makes made this possible. Well, if if North America had been colonized by Spain yeah. as opposed to uh, the English, or uh, or had never been colonized by Europe, I mean that's that's very different. I mean, I live in Illinois for heaven's yeah. sake. So uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, it's. I mean, certainly this was this was an event that impacted you know early settlement, and that early settlement would end up creating the you know the nation of the United States, and that's all. It's all an important piece of history. So and uh, uh, you and I had the opportunity to go to James yes, Town and look at some of the archaeology and talk to the chief archaeologist and uh, stand where the House of Burgesses was and it's it's an amazing piece of history uh, and so it's great to be able to tell the story about part of what came to that piece of history. I mean there's there's so much there you know you don't think of Jamestown as being forgotten history no. because there's so much archaeology and stuff going on there but there's just tons of of history there that hasn't really been discussed because there's so much that has gone on uh, and it was just such a challenging time and so every day was you know a story worth telling. Yeah, and this is just a little piece of it. This is one of those things that everyone who was coming to Jamestown had stories to tell. It was an adventure to leave England and attempt to to live your life in an unsettled frontier with uh, natives who are not necessarily friendly, and they might have good reason to not necessarily be friendly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's an interesting uh, it's it's a really interesting way for us to talk about that, and I think it's also good to remind everybody that, that your connection to that, even if you don't know, you know how far back your genealogy goes. I mean, there's it's not just that that's ancient history. I mean, there's there's a personal connection to those too. And mm-hmm. I, everyone, everyone's got that. And whether that's specifically Jamestown or something different, it's, it's part of why I like genealogy is because they, they all have their, they were all a part of those histories in very unique ways, just like we continue to be. Yeah. And, uh, you know, someday uh, people will be talking about us as being ancestors, you know, I mean, it's all a flow. Uh, so it's a good story and having that personal connection to the story makes it that much more yeah. interesting too. So uh, three three very different stories of very different kinds of pirates, uh, but all of them, you know, give us a really insight into what the times were. Thank you for listening to this episode of the History Guy podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Forgotten History, and if you did, you can find more on our website, thehistoryguy.com. We release podcasts every two weeks, so stick around if you want to hear more podcasts of Forgotten History. You can also find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon. 
You can even get a personalized message from the History Guy himself on Cameo.